Well, hi again, everyone. I'm Mark Day. This is Play by Play with me, a little play on words. I am the me, the play by play portion provided by my guests. And today's guest for Volume 1, Episode 5, I like to call him the hardest working man in showbiz. He's John Fanta, who will tell us all about what he's been up to in the wake of uh, everything that's going on in the world. And his busy season was cut short, to say the least. John Fanta joining us from somewhere near Cleveland, Ohio. And I guess you have to be super excited about the Browns' new unis today, huh, John? <laughs> Mark Renee, it's good to be joining you here uh, on your new podcast. Yes, I am excited. So I'm from the west side of Cleveland and now live in West Park. Uh, that's where my mom's at. So I've been here uh, for the last month since the Big East tournament got like every other sporting event canceled. And so came back here because I thought to myself, well, I don't get a lot of time with family around this time of year. Might actually get an Easter with family, which happened. And I thought better to be back home in Ohio uh, where the cases are, are certainly lower than the epicenter of this virus back in the New York, New Jersey area. So came back here, have been working out of, out of moms here uh, on the west side of Cleveland, getting some good family time. Uh, and yes, the Browns uniforms, mark it down, Wednesday, April the 15th at high noon coming out. And, and in a lot of ways, they're, they're not really new because they went back to their old uniforms uh, that they wore throughout the 2000s and uh, even the ones that you remember back in the 90s, better for those teams of Brian Sipe and Bernie Kozar and little Testa Verde in there as well. So fun to have some uniforms. Anything that's attached to the sports world right now is going to get hyped up even more because that, those are the times that we're in. All right. Well, the pivotal question for the folks here in New York, will Odell Beckham Jr. ever get to wear these new unis in a game that counts? Well, it's funny. The Browns have two games at MetLife Stadium this upcoming year at the Giants and at the Jets. And you can bet that that game at the Giants, not only Odell's return against the Giants, Odell played at, at the Jets last year, but Freddie Kitchen's now on the Giants staff, uh, on Coach Judge's staff. So mm -hmm. that'll be a reunion of sorts. And then there's just a bunch of other tie-ins. Plus you've got Baker versus Daniel Jones. I would bet that's a primetime game early in the season, potentially. Yeah, but what Having if he gets traded to Minnesota? That's the big rumor, right? It is a big rumor. I think it's nothing more than a rumor. I don't think that the Vikings can afford Odell, even if they wanted to trade for him. I don't see how it makes sense for either side. If the Browns were going to trade Odell Beckham, I think they would have traded him long ago. He was part of their jersey reveal. He was part of some of the marketing efforts there. It just would not make much sense at all. And I think they want to see this experiment through at least another season with him and Jarvis Landry. It just wouldn't behoove the Browns to trade away Odell Beckham. Uh, why would you have gotten him in the first place? Uh, now, having said this, for the Vikings side of things, you thought Stephon Diggs created drama. I, I don't know what, what your purpose of bringing him in would be, plus the financial situation. I, the, the Vikings right now, as it stands, cannot afford obj if they just traded him straight up they'd have to maneuver some things around in a big way so i don't really see how it makes sense for either side i think odell beckham uh if we are playing football in the fall if in fact we are playing he's going to be in a cleveland browns uniform all righty i'll take your word for it uh before we move into the fun and games family's all well everybody is uh is is okay and 
getting adjusted to the new normal, so to speak? Family's good. I mean, it's, it's certainly, it's just unprecedented. It's crazy. I mean, on a personal note, I have a grandpa who's in hospice, uh, who started out in a nursing home about two weeks before the whole country was shut down and the country gets shut down. And I believe God has a way of doing things. And Mark, my mom and my grandmother had had a lot of thought in the first place of putting my grandpa into the nursing home. Yeah. But he required 24-7 care. And in full transparency, um, then this virus shuts everything down, shuts down nursing homes. And now my grandpa, who was confused as is, not seeing my mom and grandma, is thinking in his head, wow, did, did, did I just get thrown in here? You know, and, and that's oh, totally not what it was. Yeah. Um, but but that's what you think when you don't have visitors and when it's so new to you and you really didn't want to go in there in the first place, but it was really the best option for healthcare. Well, about two weeks into that, after going through some therapy, they just determined he couldn't walk. And so it's while that's sad, um, he got transported to a hospice care facility and the blessing within this, because you always have to make the most of any situation, mm. is that they do allow visitors one to two a day, a day. You can't come come in and return and from a distance. You have to wear a mask. Right. You can you can see the you know the patients. So I go one day a week. I'm able to reunite with my grandpa who is my biggest inspiration into why I love sports. So he he still is able to to recall some stories. We'll talk some Browns, we'll talk some Cleveland sports, some college basketball. So I love him. I'm glad that he's safe there. Um, you know, I don't think anything's imminent, but uh, this hospice facility has has a protocol. I think it's going to be the norm for a while for us of wearing masks and seeing him at a distance, but it's better to see him and it's a blessing in disguise in a way uh, than to not see him. So trying to make the most of that as well. Amen to that. Now, uh, you talked about college basketball. This is where I know you from. This is where I think a lot of people know you from. A product of Seton Hall University. First of all, how do you wind up at Seton Hall in West Orange, New Jersey, or South Orange, New Jersey, from Cleveland, Ohio. So I went to St. Ignatius High School in Cleveland. They had a broadcasting network uh, that was very basic, but I was able to call a couple hundred games there at Ignatius, ranging from different sports of football, basketball, uh, lacrosse, baseball, rugby. It was an all-boys high school, um, and the broadcasting network has, has never – been stronger than it is now they've got some high level technology and equipment so it's been cool to see what it's become uh but out of ignatius i didn't want to stay in the state of ohio for college because i felt like i had gotten a lot of reps in high school and in the cleveland area i thought i'd like to take on a different area and i'd like to take on an area that could result in me getting an opportunity after college you know that's what i really thought because i was concerned if i stayed in the state of potentially pigeonholing myself and, and leaving myself with only an option or two for my career. Uh, I thought if there's a time for me to go away, the time is now. And I'm really happy that I made that choice. I looked at Fordham, Syracuse, St. Bonaventure. So schools ranging in all different sizes. And I have to thank my college counselor back at St. Ignatius who, who said to me, you know, you should give a look at Seton Hall while you're visiting Fordham, you should, you should take a look at, at this Seton Hall University. And I didn't know anything about Seton Hall. Uh, I, I, I didn't know anyone who went there. I didn't know anything about the school. Um, 
you see Bob Lee on a brochure. Now that's a ringing endorsement. Mm. Um, but, but I didn't know much about it. And, and so I went and visited there and I had visited Fordham. I was really impressed with Fordham, um, and, and got accepted to these schools. And in the process of kind of making a decision, it was actually my dad who said, why don't we take another look at Seton Hall, uh, and potentially line up a tour of the radio station, WSOU, which I vividly, vividly remember. Um, and, and then the athletic department as well. And in, in that second time around, I saw an area of opportunity to get on-air reps right away, which was really appetizing to me as opposed to waiting two or three years uh, because those programs are great, Fordham, Syracuse, but you do have to wait before you can get on the air. And, and that, that was something that I didn't want to be forced to have to wait to get on the air um, just because that's part of the process. And I thought at Seton Hall – there might be a chance to get on the air immediately and then improve and rise. And, and um, little did I know then that, that that was going to be the case and then some. Mm. And I remember my dad kind of saying to me, you know, think about this. Big East Conference, Madison Square Garden, sure they don't have football, but they've got power conference basketball. They've got on-air opportunities within, within that. I mean, he, he saw some possibilities. And then I saw them and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to Seton Hall. And it was the best choice I ever made because it resulted in me not only getting on the air, but you kind of got to catch some luck. I ended up doing some things um, and covering teams that, that ended up having a lot of success, uh, particularly the 2016 Big East Championship team. And it, it just it led to opportunities I never thought I'd have traveling over half the country in my time. And my favorite story about, about Seton Hall that kind of shows a choice working out for the best-case scenario is, Mark, it was my freshman year, and I had not done many men's basketball reports or interviews and uh, for the website, for shupirates.com. And the athletics communications head had said to me, hey, why, why don't you be the on-camera reporter for, for the men's basketball team this week at Madison Square Garden? So I, you know, I, I wasn't going to go anywhere for spring break, but I planned on being at the garden and working the games and the 2013, 14 team was not very good, uh, but they had had some injuries throughout the season. Well, they end up winning their first big East tournament game over Butler by a point. And so I do some stuff after that, but I'm thinking the next day is going to be the last day because they're playing Villanova. Well, Sterling Gibbs hits a game winner and I end up doing a post game hit, you know, in the locker room with a bunch of players and on the website that night, on the Seton Hall website, that post-game hit had 30,000 views. Wow. And there's an example of an opportunity opening, not thinking much of it. If Seton Hall loses that game, who knows if that even has 500 views. Uh, then they get to Friday night at the Garden, and my pregame hit is with Bill Raftery. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm, I'm 18 years old. You know, this is literally a dream come true, and it led to so many other dreams coming true as well. I can only imagine that pregame hit, Big E semifinals, Fanta and Raftery. If only we could get you guys both to come out of your shells, maybe there would have been a little energy in that hit. (laughs) (laughs) And Raf was so excited. You know, he said, (laughs) he walked in, he goes, Kevin Willard and Ed Cooley in the Big E semifinals? He goes, who did they pay off? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> it was not supposed to be that way. No, 
But it was so fitting in the first year of that reconfigured Big East that Providence College won the Big East tournament. You know, Dave Gavitt was smiling down that night because it was the new version of the league. And everybody questioned, Mark, if the Big East could reconstruct and fit in a football culture. And on that night at the Garden, it was Providence versus Doug McDermott and Creighton. And I remember looking around the Garden and I thought to myself, well, I don't know the old Big East because I wasn't around. I was in high school and grade school during it in terms of I would watch the tournament from home, but I was never in the Garden. I thought to myself, I don't know the old Big East, but looking around at a full Madison Square Garden and still hearing that roar, I thought, maybe this thing can can stand tall. And boy, has it ever. All right, let me ask you this. Um, and I, I have to tell everybody because uh, I saw you just after they canceled the Big East tournament following yes. the first half of that St. John's game. And the last thing anybody in the garden heard prior to the public address announcer telling everyone that the game would not continue after halftime was you doing this halftime hit about what a great first 20 minutes we've seen. And I said to you afterwards, I remember I busted your chops and I said, you see what you did? (laughs) You got so excited, you tilted the whole pinball machine. Um, who, Who would have won that Big East tournament had they played it out? Wow, that is a really interesting question. Well, well I, I think to put you on the spot. I think that St. John's was going to beat Creighton, but I, I don't think that they would have won the Big East tournament. I just think Creighton without Zagorowski was a totally different team. Um, I am going to go. I'm going to go with Seton Hall. Okay, they were the best team in the league throughout the season. I think that they would have found themselves. There's something about Miles Powell at Madison Square Garden. And I had a conversation with Powell Monday of that week, and he said, there's going to be a different version of me that you'll see inside the garden. Uh, And I I just – you take him at his word for it because that's the kind of player he was. Some of his best games came at the garden. And I just think that Seton Hall in a tournament setting with the different ways they could beat teams, if it's not Powell, it's McKnight. If it's not McKnight, it's Gill. And how about Mamu Kelashvili? And that's why Seton Hall followers are so optimistic now about next year because all signs point to Sandra Mamu Kelashvili being back for Seton Hall. He's a matchup nightmare. And now they've uh, brought in Bryce Aiken, the transfer from Harvard. You know, they, they really showed their versatility. And I think in a tournament setting, that would have fit really well, uh, especially at the Garden where – they would have had a bit of a home court advantage because that's the kind of season they were having, and Seton Hall fans were fully behind them. Right, so let's extrapolate this. They win the Big East Tournament. They probably stay in the Eastern region for yeah. the NCAAs. Maybe a two seed, maybe a three. But the regional finals at the Garden. Could Seton Hall have been a Final Four team? Totally, without question. Because if you're a Big East team, you've seen the Seton Hall twice. You know how to play them. You know you got to spread the floor and take Gill slash Obiagu off the floor and get Seton Hall to play smaller. But I think if you were unfamiliar of Seton Hall, and if you're a San Diego State playing the Pirates in Elite Eight, or another team that had not seen them, a Dayton, even a Dayton who was really, really good, I thought could have made the Final Four. But, you know, Obi Toppin had never had to go up against a Romaro Gill. Uh, and, and Obi Toppin's going to be a top-tier NBA draft pick. But I'm just saying, 
Seton Hall had the equation. They had point guard play that was at an elite level. They had rim protection at an elite level, and they had a bucket getter who at any given moment could explode. And I thought that that's why Seton Hall had the formula to, to make a Final Four run, and, and it's it's so bitter. It's it's really difficult on Seton Hall followers because this was the year, you know. And I I think I think the program is now truly a program because you would expect a team this good to take a massive step back next year. But as a result of how much this program has built itself up and been able to win and sustain some of that winning, it looks like that's going to continue somewhat, which you couldn't have said about the program five, six years ago. So it's bad news that they couldn't play through because people really thought that they could go far. And I thought they had the formula too. If you had never seen that team, it took it took some real adjusting to get used to the different pieces they had. Tough to defend and even tougher to score on. Rutgers would have been in. Hofstra would have been in having won the CAA tournament. Obviously, Seton Hall would have been in. Um, there has been a theory floated. I don't know how practical it is, but I'll run it by you, that they should start next season with the big dance. And I know, obviously, you know, guys who are seniors now have, you know, they're going to graduate. They're going to go to the NBA. What do you think about letting the teams who qualified start the season with an NCAA tournament? I just don't see it happening. And it's a great, it's a nice idea, but it just couldn't work out logistically. You know, you'd be talking about a Seton Hall team without Miles Powell. Because you've got players who are going to go pro, um, and, and should. They're going to take the next step in their career. It's just impossible. Uh, and also, if you're going to start next season with an NCAA tournament, who are the 68 teams? And when you don't have conference tournaments that have finished, what if St. John's had gone on a dream run in the Big East tournament? <laughs> That's just an example. You know, what if, what if a team that was on the bubble won three games in the ACC tournament? You know, and then all of a sudden gets on the right side of the bubble. It's just you you wouldn't be able to make a, a logical field um, and you would have players not included in it as a result. It's a nice idea, but like many things, it just can't be logistically pulled off. You make excellent points, sir. Um, is college basketball your sport? Has it always been your sport? It has not always been my sport. Um but, man, I've grown to love it so much because the coaches, the players, the the pageantry of it and March is unbelievable. Um, it really is. The sport has such a small world feel to it, even though we've got so many different teams. We have, over, you know, we have 351 teams in the sport. But when you start to go to Madison Square Garden, I remember my first walk into that building, Mark, and – it's not just to say Madison Square Garden is a college basketball venue, but it is in the city. You know, for the big college basketball games, it is the place to be. And I remember walking in the first time I, I ever walked in was for the 2014 Big East tournament. I called both my parents right away. I was in the lobby. I wasn't even in the building yet. And I, I just said, I, man, this place is really cool. I mean, I, I, I just can feel it in here. Um, and, and when you think, you know, when you think about the pageantry, when you think about the people within the sport, uh, the people who cover it, you know, um, in, in the local area alone, people like Dick Weiss and um, Mike Vaccaro, uh, and then people who call games like Gary Cohen calls Seton Hall basketball. 
Um, and the Mink Man, who just who just retired, you know, who just uh, uh, headed out of WFAN, you know, John Minko. Uh, there's just so many great people both on the air and then the people on the court from the coaches and the players. And then it helps that when I was a junior in college, I covered a Final Four. Uh, I covered Villanova winning the national title over North Carolina. And if you don't love the sport after that moment, uh, then you're never going to love it. So my original love, which will always be my original love, was baseball. I, I love baseball, always will. Huge Indians fan growing up. Progressive Field is a beautiful place to to watch a game. And um, I grew up with the tones of Tom Hamilton, who's still the voice of the Indians, and he's an incredible voice of a team. But uh, growing up with him and then growing up as a Browns fan, you know, those are my two original loves. And then when you get a kid from Akron named LeBron James, it starts your love for basketball. And uh, I have him to thank for my original love of basketball that then really translate into college because growing up in Cleveland, you know, you don't grow up with a lot of college basketball. It's not a college basketball area. Uh, it's great high school. And you had to go down to Columbus to Ohio State. But we have Cleveland State. And, and you know, nothing against the Vikings, but that's about it. We have the Mac as well. But it's, it's just not a college basketball heavy town. So I, I got that love once I got to Seton Hall. Long before you were born, Cleveland State was a story. They were. They, they were the story. <laughs> Kevin Mackey, uh, right? He was the coach. Was it Kevin yeah. Mackey? Yeah, Kevin Mackey. Miles McFadden was the big star. Great memory. Back in the late 80s. That's my prime time. <laughs> You're still in prime time, Mark. Well, thanks. That's another <laughs> five bucks I owe you. Um, I know your career hasn't been a long one, but it has been uh, one that has uh, had some exciting moments. Do you have any specific play-by-play memory that stands out as your signature call yet? Hmm. You know, I I have not called for Fox many huge games that people would identify as, wow, that was a big moment. Um but I try to call everyone like a big moment because that's that's just what I, how I try to treat it. Yeah, no, that's I, who you are. That's what you bring. Yeah, and, and that's how you have to handle it. I I think for someone out there, it's their biggest game yet. Um, and there's always a viewing audience, no matter whether you're doing a high school game, a college game, or a pro game. And to those people that are watching or listening, it's the most important game for them. So you should treat it as such. Um, I did a game. I did Arkansas Little Rock at Georgetown um, last college basketball season. So this year I did about six men's games and then 15 women's games. I do a lot of women's basketball, and I'll get to women's in a second. But in the men's game last year, I did a Georgetown-Arkansas Little Rock game. And Arkansas Little Rock um, is is a program that had gone through a lot of change. They've been through another coaching change Um like their third coaching change in five years. Um, they, they had had a couple of tournament runs. Um, I'm thinking back now, Chris Beard was at Little Rock before right. he was at Texas Tech, mm-hmm. and he had led them on one tournament run, NCAA tournament run. But this is a program that's had some success, still has some of those players, but they've got a newer coach who's trying to figure things out. But, you know, I, I, I sit down at Georgetown's practice. I had, had a couple games with Georgetown that season, and, so I'm developing a rapport with Patrick Ewing, which was just, it was amazing. And it's, it's very, it's very nice to, to call him someone that, that I, you know, one of the coaches that I've grown a bit of a relationship and friendship with, 
but I've got this Arkansas Little Rock team who the night before they're they're shooting around at a local gym and I'm talking to all the players and it's December 21st Mark so we're, we're inching towards Christmas so even everybody whether you're playing coaching calling that game it's the last game before we're all about to book it for Christmas there's a lot of excitement for us to all get home for Christmas and I remember talking to the Little Rock players the night before and they're telling me you know we're we're gonna go out we're gonna win this game you know we're gonna win this game and I I kind of had a you know, a facial expression that said, are you really, you know, like you're going to win, you're going to go out and win this game. I kind of had that sarcastic look on my face. Cause that's what I was thinking. And they said, no, 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 we're being serious. Like we are going to go out. Georgetown's going to overlook us. We're going to win this game. And so it's a Saturday at noon. I'm working with Tariq Turner. Um, great for guy. Love great him. guy played at St. John's wonderful guy. And uh, I kind of say to Tariq before the game, you know, they were awfully aggressive. They were awfully this little rock team thinks they're going to go out and win the game. And and I'm a rookie, you know, at this, uh, it was my first year with Fox and tricks. Like, well, we'll see, you know, I, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if they have the size. So we're, we're talking, I, I'm, I'm in agreement. I'm worth both thinking we're going to have a lot of time to fill. Well, Georgetown's up like 10 for the majority of the game. And all of a sudden little rock starts to come back. And Ray John Tucker for Arkansas little rock with a, with three seconds to go. Little Rock is down by three. And just to get down by three, Mark, they had had to hit a couple of clutch shots. Like, it was one of those things. They were down eight with three minutes to go. Kind of kept cutting, cutting, cutting. They finally get it to three with, like, three seconds left. The ball gets inbounded. Uh, you could tell the Hoya crowd's thinking, we got this win. We're, you know, we're going home. We're going home for Christmas. Uh, even everybody's standing, the both benches standing. Well, Little Rock inbounds the ball. And Tucker hits a shot from 40 feet away. I mean, 40, 45 feet. And I just say, we're going to overtime in D.C. Christmas comes early. (laughs) And Little Rock is in an absolute frenzy. Georgetown ends up winning the game with some clutch, clutch playmaking down the stretch. But, you know, you get off the air from that game, and I remember getting texts and and calls, and I, I thought to myself, the feeling of calling a game like that is what just keeps you motoring along. When you do get that 20-point game, it makes you think, okay, not every day is going to be that game. But you show up to the arena, and you just never know what you're going to end up calling. You know, it's funny you mentioned Tom Hamilton, because I was going to ask you about him. There is a lot of him in you. You can tell the influence that he had over you. He has a great influence over me. He's been the voice of the Indians since the 90s. He has been an incredible voice of a team. And the Tribe has had so many big moments in the last 20 years, 20-plus years from their 95 to 97 World Series World Series runs to uh, as recent as 2016 and 17. You know, the 2016 team going to Game 7 of the World Series and in 2017, they make the playoffs again. They played the Yankees in an epic, epic ALDS. What a comeback that was by Joe Girardi and the Yankees. But Tom Hamilton's excitement just, it had me listening on the edge of my seat when I was a kid growing up to Indians games. I mean, I'd have to go to bed at 8, but the Indians would still be on, and I'd have them on WTAM 1100 in Cleveland on the radio. I mean, I, that's what I grew up with. So when you grow up with that, 
it's almost like his his tone, his calls become a part of you if you're a fan of a team. And so I love Tom Hamilton, still do. We have never met formally in person, uh, but hopefully that's something that can happen down the road because, yeah, I, I, I do idolize Tom in the way that, that he calls a game. Um, I, I think one thing I, I forgot to mention this because I said I was going to talk about the women's game. I, I don't think people realize um, how many great analysts there are that I end up learning from. You talk about me learning from Tom Hamilton. I have learned from so many people I've worked with. Uh, I, I have the pleasure of working with Kim Adams, a former Penn player on Fox, Monica McNutt, who played at Georgetown. I could say, Mark, right now, there's nobody that I have learned more from in terms of how you should be as a person and how you should be as a professional in this industry than Sarah Kustak. She's great. She's incredible. And she works with Ian Eagle on the Nets. Nets fans should are so lucky they have those two. There, there are not two better people and professionals than Ian and Sarah. And when I get to have that seat with Sarah, um, I, I have to say, I, I actually get a little bit emotional inside because, you know, not to sound like a softie, but when you're working with someone that bird gets to sit next to 82, you know, however many nights a year, it is really a, a privilege to, to sit with anybody who's on that Nets crew. And Sarah brings such a great perspective to the college game as well. And I've gotten to do a lot of college basketball with her. We did the big East women's tournament semifinals and uh, we did like five, six straight hours on FS one. And, and it was a joy ride. I mean, we just had a great time and, and had a couple of really fun shows and that's because she's an absolute star. Uh, we have a lot of them on the women's side. I know women's basketball doesn't get watched as much as men's, but uh, there are some females in this industry who are only just beginning. Uh, like the path Doris Burke's been on, there are others who are going to keep rising. And she's, uh, Sarah, of course, another one who you know broke the mold because she started as a sideline reporter, and you don't have to stay on the sideline. I think she will be... Uh, she will be a topic of discussion uh, for years to come. Now, before we move um, on to um, one other uh, women's college basketball item that I want to talk to you about, I, I don't want to sell Jim Rosen House short. Just in case he's listening, our orbits have been uh, circling around each other for years. So Jim Rosen House, also a solid job on those Indians broadcasts. He's awesome. <laughs> Rosie is, is a lot of fun to listen to. I love him. I think he and Hammy have a great banter back and forth. It's a lot of fun. If you're an Indians follower or if you're a baseball follower, tune into Tom Hamilton and Jim Rosenhaus, if not locally in Cleveland, on Sirius XM. You'll come away learning something, and you'll come away having a fun time because, honestly, when Rosie's doing the game, you feel like you're having a conversation with him, and that's why I really like listening to him too. Yeah, we've uh, we've uh, been crossing paths for the better part of uh, 25 years, probably longer, but I don't want to get into that. Um WNBA draft coming up on Friday. Sabrina Ionescu has to be the number one pick, so she'll go to the Liberty. How big a star can she be in New York City? Oh, she can set the town on fire in a in a city right now that doesn't have a face for basketball. Sabrina Ionescu can absolutely be that face. Um, Kevin Durant's expected to be the next face. Uh, and, and you can argue, well, he plays for the Nets, not the Knicks. No, no, no. He's a transcendent basketball face. Like, he is going to – it doesn't matter that he's playing in Brooklyn 
uh, as opposed to playing at the Garden. It would be that much sweeter if he played at the Garden, but the fact that KD's going to be in the New York area, that's going to be compelling enough. Sabrina Ionescu can match that, if not exceed that. Why? Because she's a player unlike anything we've seen in women's basketball before and in an era where we are seeing women empowerment shine through and impressingly shine through. Uh, I just think that this can take off. This is perfect for the New York City area. We all need a hero. We all need a star. Uh, Sabrina Ionescu can set the New York City area on fire. Um, no pun intended with the Liberty. I, I think that this just is a no-brainer. And I think that Sabrina Ionescu is someone who could be a once-in-a-lifetime type face and figure in New York sports. She checks off every single box. And watching her, her personality, Mark, it fits New York. Not everybody fits New York. I think Sabrina does. I agree. I agree. I think her marketability is is off the charts. I just hope she's able to take advantage of it, given the, the current climate. Yes. Yeah, to- totally think that that's the, that's the biggest thing right now is, what is our current climate going to look like? Um, that's, that's the biggest thing in everybody's head, and uh, it's such a fluid situation. I, I think in the world of college sports, I keep having this thought. Um, when we talk about moving football or basketball season around, particularly football season, Football takes up a ton of resources within an athletic department. Basketball takes up a ton of resources for an athletic department. If you have a school that's middle tier, that has both those things going on for a long period of time, simultaneously, and other sports, you are not going to have the financial resources to support all that staffing-wise. And you're not going to have a logistical resources to make it all work. These are all things that the NCAA has to weigh. It's going to be a very fluid situation. Of course, it's great for players, teams, coaches, and fans. But there are people behind the scenes that have to be considered here before we sign off on postponing seasons to a certain date and moving things around on the calendar. And that's what I'm so curious to see what happens in the next three to five months with scheduling and with how we move forward, you know, and, and what that even looks like in terms of masks, in terms of a vaccine, which apparently may take a year. And if that's going to take a year, um, then this is just going to be a consistent work in progress. It would appear. Yeah. You talked about spending time with the family, get to see your grandpa, albeit from a distance. Um, given the current situation, what are you missing the most what is it that you want to do that you can't do the people you miss seeing people face to face Uh, I think this time of year people ask what do you do after basketball season and what I end up doing for like the first (laughs) (laughs) you and JR John Rothstein you both take naps (laughs) a lot of naps we get some rest but what I end up doing in about six to seven weeks after basketball season is Every weekend, there is a spring sport championship that I typically cover for the Big East digital side or for Fox Sports if it's on TV. And so that's about a six to seven week span. And people say, do you get burned out? And here's why I don't get burned out. When I show up to that tennis championship, which last year I commentated a Big East tennis championship, the men's and women's matches went 
uh, one after the other with a 15-minute break because they had no lighting at the facilities. They had to go through the whole day. And, Mark, we combined for 10 straight hours of tennis. I'm not a tennis lover. I became a tennis lover that day because of how inspiring the efforts were of both teams. So when I think about tennis, college baseball, softball, lacrosse, going to those conference championships – for a lot of those teams, that is their championship. Right. They, they may very well not win the national title. So I'm covering their biggest event of the year. And the emotion, reuniting with some of those coaches that I only see that time of year, um, is a joy. It, it's a joy, and it's a joy that we're going to be without uh, this spring. And I, my heart just aches for a spring sports senior who could still have an extra year of eligibility. But what if that spring sports senior had a job lined up at J.P. Morgan? You know, what if they had a job lined up in a law office? I'm sure those things can wait. But by the same token, you want to start to move forward, and I get that part of it too. It's It just creates an unprecedented situation that, frankly, is is really tough on, on those people, and my heart aches for them. But I'll miss seeing all those people and reconnecting with them because typically this is the time of year uh, when I connect with some people that I don't connect with because we're so immersed in basketball from fall until, well, this point in the year. Yeah, so how are you passing the time that you have? Uh, a lot of Zooms, a lot of Skypes, a lot of different ventures. You know, um, I've, I've had a couple interviews um, with student-athletes who are doing work in their community. Last week I talked to two Xavier student-athletes who are raising funds for a food bank. Uh, next week I've got a conversation with a couple Villanova alums who are now nurses uh, who played women's lacrosse together and kind of rely on each other, have a friendship, and are now on the front lines of COVID-19. And then I've also got something else lined up with a Butler men's soccer player who has started a foundation to raise awareness and education uh, for health, immunity, and COVID-19 awareness. So you, you, you learn to tell different stories. I've got off-season basketball content. I've had a couple conversations with players and coaches once we have some more info on the NBA draft, I'll do some stuff around that. But t- trying to take it day by day and very grateful to have an opportunity with the Big East digital side because my heart really does break, Mark, for those commentators that relied on events this time of year to, to make ends meet. And now we don't have those events and we don't know when they're going to come back. So I really feel for people that do rely on live events but also had roles that have since been cut off for at least the time being because there's just nothing going on. So trying to make the most of the situation to tell some stories that can spotlight people doing good in our community that kind of go against that doom and gloom of the news that we're seeing that is, you know, straight news, but is, is stuff that if you watch and pay attention to all day, it can kind of get you depressed. Yeah. Well, let's try and put a little optimistic spin on things. What's the first thing you think you'll do one, once we get the all clear. I'm going to go to Pier 13 in Hoboken and have a beer and a slice of pizza. <laughs> That's a long trip from Cleveland. Well, I'll get back to Hoboken, which is where my apartment is, and I'll party it up. <laughs> I'll party it up. I'll tell them I know Mark Ernie. I hear I can get a discount. Yeah, that's not going to help you at all. You'll pay extra. <laughs> extra, especially in Hoboken. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, listen, so we call the show Play-by-Play with me. Obviously, I talk to play-by-play people, but it's also playful. 
And I've been asking people, um, last couple of guests have uh, young children, so it's been an especially interesting question, but uh, what is your favorite board game? I just played Balderdash over the weekend where you give a definition to a random word and then everybody has to select which definition they think is the right one for the word. I love that game. Interesting. Balderdash. I highly recommend it if you haven't played it. All right. Well, if we played today, can you play one-on-one? We would need three people. So it's at three people. All right. I was going to throw down the gauntlet and say if we played this game, who would win? Well. That's not even a question. <laughs> Except you're not answering it. <clears throat> Mark Ernay would win. No, the, not a chance. I never played. That. Never heard of it. No, I think I've What's heard of it, but I've never played. What's mine? Yeah. Trivial Pursuit. Okay, you'd beat me in that. I live for that's Trivial Pursuit. That sounds fun. Yeah. I love Millionaire, uh, and there used to be kind of a board gamey version of it, but they brought Millionaire back to ABC, and I'll be watching that tonight. Tonight, yes. I'm excited for it. I know. I, I, I really enjoy that it's back, and I read an article last week that says that they'd like to bring it back kind of once or twice a year, one like eight-week celebrity, one eight-week regular people. I love when regular people were on. It was so much fun. Yeah, I think it would probably go better with regular people. That's just me. Um, yeah, we love the average Joe. Right. Going for I'd, I'd rather see them try to answer things, you know, and really what to find celebrity anymore. I, I Exactly. I, so I want them to, if this goes well, which the ratings came out, looks like it went okay. People are looking for something to watch. I'm hoping that in the fall, you know, that we could get a little classic millionaire with the real people playing for money. And look, people need money right now. It could be a great way to, Kind of shine some light on some people around our world who, who are who might be hurting, who get an opportunity on Millionaire to rack up some cash. Indeed. Indeed. Hey, listen, I appreciate you doing this. This was fun. Mark, an absolute blast to be with you, and hopefully there's another time soon enough at Madison Square Garden where you can bust my chops because I'll take it if it means we got live sports going. On. Well, we'll have live sports. I just don't want you to you know tilt the pinball machine and have everything canceled after that. <laughs> What you're telling me is I'm a jinx. Well, it happened once. You're one for one. <laughs> Let's not make it a trend. I'm a 100% shooter. <laughs> John Fanta, I appreciate the time. Thanks, man. Mark, thank you. I'm Mark Ernay. He's John Fanta. Hey, John, thanks for stopping to play-by-play with me. Great to be with you, Mark. Fun to stop.